I do want to tell when once you hit record, I want to tell a little story of something happened that happened today that I think is really relevant to our our conversation. Oh, well, I'm recording. If you just want to jump in. So as I was thinking about our conversation here, um, you know, I was sort of holed up in my study. And today was one of those days when the two older kids were at Nana and Papa's house and or the three older kids now were there. So I just had little Beatrice or, you know, just over a month year old, month old, I guess I should say. And she was asleep in her swing and I was in my study with my books in my happy place. And of course, when you spend a day uh, holed up like that, when you come back out into the light, like Zarathustra leaving his cave and back to the village people, you know, you have to deal with reality. And the reality happened to be that all the children had been dropped off. And for some reason, they were all crying at the same time. <laughs> sure. And, you know, my wife, who also works at home, peeks her head out the door and says, hey, I put dinner in the oven, so just take it out in 20 minutes. And I thought, okay, I can do this. Um, I will put Beatrice, I'll leave her in her swing. She's asleep. I'll take the kids on a little wagon ride around the yard, pop in every five minutes or so, check the baby, check dinner. Everything should be fine. Well, you know, of course, putting all the kids in the wagon, they immediately started bickering and fighting and stepping on each other. And it just wasn't really working. So I had to kind of squirrel them away under the carport, say, don't move. I'm going to run and check the dinner. I open up the oven and it's meatloaf. Now, to my wife's defense, it was given to us uh, by someone else. The baby meal train. But the baby meal train is, is still going, which, listen, this is what I'm about to say is going to sound really ungrateful, but I'm pretty sure meatloaf is the most sort of unnatural, like, like despicable food on the planet. It's a personal opinion, I know. A lot of people out there love it. Um, and so I'm kind of... it. it Instantly disappointed, right? So I close the oven, go back outside. The kids are fighting still. Um, the baby has thrown up on herself. And so fortunately, you know, um, Cassie finishes up uh, what she was working on, comes out, and I am just not in a good place. Um, and I'll just confess to you and to all our, our friends here uh, that I was a jerk. I was a total jerk. I was a jerk to my wife. I was a jerk to my kids. You know, in the moment, you just start throwing kids on the sofa. You just start sticking kids in chairs and throwing food at them. And it just, it wasn't pretty. And I'm thinking the whole time, this is so hypocritical. I'm about to sit down with Autumn Kern and talk about, you know, the, the joys of fatherhood and how to be a good dad and homeschool and all that. Um, and so my wife, keeping her composure and being very calm, um, said, don't worry, honey, we'll put a pizza in. You don't have to eat the meatloaf. Like, you know, like talking to our five-year-old. <laughs> and, uh, you know, because that's how I was acting. And, uh, and so after we finished eating, she said, Hey kids, why, why don't we, why don't we listen to some music and dance? Of course the kids love that. And this is something you recommend. I know. Dance parties. And so we put on our playlist and we had a bit of a dance party and that got me in a better mood, but, um, I was still in a little bit of a funk mainly cause I was now disappointed in myself. Mm -hmm. It's that second arrow of like, you're already wounded and then you shoot yourself yep. again for feeling bad about it. And so she said, okay. And she just totally just came up with this out of the blue. She said, why don't you take the pickup truck and back it up to in, in the front yard to the, to the bushes. We have this place where you could kind of tuck the truck in and you'd be surrounded by the bushes. And why don't you put a blanket down in the back of the truck and read that story you were trying to read to the kids this morning when they just, no one was paying attention mm -hmm. and, and give them a snack and, you know, 
that'll probably be something they really enjoy. Yeah. Well, the story you'll be glad to hear was the story that you wrote. No, Brandon Rowan. <laughs> Brandon Rowan. And it was a big hit. You know, when you're sitting in the back of a pickup truck in your front yard in the bushes eating popcorn balls, oh, uh, that's that's quite quite the, the pairing. So, that's so thank you, Autumn. <laughs> and thank you, Cassie, uh, for for helping me uh, save, save face and um, get my family back on track this evening. Commonplace is a podcast for the new homeschooling mom delighted by the ideals and principles of a classical Charlotte Mason education, but who feels unsure of how to get started on the practical side of nourishing a soul on the good, the true, and the beautiful. I hope you find camaraderie here as we get our bearings in the world of old ideas and old books, of wisdom and virtue, and of the means of grace by which God works in this world through the commonplaces, which includes your home. So, if you're like me, trying to offer your children an education unlike your own, and wondering if you can create an atmosphere, a discipline, and a life of such richness, I'm here to tell you, I think you can. I'm your host, Autumn Kern, and I'm pleased to welcome you to The Commonplace. Hello and welcome back to The Commonplace. My name is Autumn Kern and I know that you were hoping to finally hear Charlotte Mason's 20th principle, but I have not yet gotten there because when we do, it means it's the end of the season and I'm just not ready to do that yet. And so we have back-to-back interviews. We had one last week and we have one again today because I am joined by another lovely podcast host, Mr. Trey Bailey of the Classical Education Podcast. Trey, say hello. Hello, Autumn. It's always refreshing to hear your voice. Well, we're very happy to have you here. Um, One thing that I am often asked about is any way to bring dads into the homeschool. How do we include them formally in lessons? How do we include them in the life habits we're trying to form in our home? What if my husband doesn't know about Charlotte Mason? All sorts of things. And I wanted to be able to touch on that this season as we've been talking about our philosophy, which is, of course, going to shape the entire home as a mom learns about it. And I am just not a dad. I'm not a dad homeschooler. I can't really speak too much to the male mind and I wouldn't pretend to know it. And so what I love about what you are doing is that one, you are a classical Charlotte Mason homeschooling dad. So you actually understand the homeschooling part of it, like what a lot of the commonplace audience is doing on the day to day, what sort of both both privileges and difficulties they face, what kind of help might be um, an encouragement for them and that whole side of it. But then also you're a father. And so you understand the role of the dad in the home, which is a unique role than what we moms are trying to do. And so pairing those two together is a very unique place to be. And therefore, I had to have you on to talk about this stuff. So welcome. Thank you. If you would please spend a couple minutes just introducing yourself and your family. Well, thank you very much for this invitation. And I am looking forward to our conversation. And, um, you know, it's not often that you hear from fathers who are working in the Charlotte Mason world. And although there are a few things out there, and so if I can contribute to the good conversations that have already taken place, um, I will feel like um, that will have been uh, something worth doing. And I have to say that if there's anything that I say over the course of our conversation that is entirely original to me, that is completely unintentional. Uh, Really, my desire is to just pass on uh, the wisdom that I've received, um, lessons learned, um, things that I've gleaned from other 
uh, people who have uh, either um, gone down this road before or who have you know spent a lot of time and thought and, and and really mainly in prayer about these things. And so if I can if I can point us to those folks who uh, even point us uh, ultimately back to uh, the source of all truth, goodness, and beauty, God Himself, then then uh, then I'll be um, confident that we've we've done something worth doing here. Yes. So I've I've been homeschooling the kids now for oh, I don't know how many weeks are we into the <laughs> uh, the school year? It's a new thing. <laughs> so like like you, um, I've just started my formal homeschool journey, so to speak. But one of the things that I, I would like to emphasize is that really every home is a homeschool. Mm. You know, I I think it's right and it's appropriate to talk about the specifics of formal homeschooling, but sometimes it's it's good to think in a larger frame and have that perspective that really everything that goes on within the, the life of a home is in some ways um, teaching and educating the children as well as the parents. Yes. Um, I had I had some, some wise friends uh, who are uh, actually my parents' godchildren remind me that we are learning how to be parents while our children are learning how to be children. It's this thing we do together. I like and that. And so I've been married now for, uh, we're in our 14th year, and uh, we're high school sweethearts, although um, probably don't have time to, to tell that full story. I will say that um, I my claim to fame is that I took my wife on her first date. The sad thing is I didn't take her on her second because she turned me down for that one. Um, but <laughs> I guess I'm a, I guess I'm a slow burn because eventually I won in the end and we've been you married for 14 <laughs> years and we have four beautiful children. Um, the most recent addition, uh, Beatrice, uh, was born, um, not, but a little over a month ago. And so, um, we've, uh, we've been learning a lot, as you can imagine over the last, uh, five years, our oldest son is five. We have a three-year-old daughter. Um, a son who's a year and a half, and then Beatrice, our new, our new uh, kiddo, added to the the Bailey fam. But um, I spent six years as a logistics officer in the army, and then, um, not unlike Dante, I sort of found myself in the middle of a dark wood and realized that I needed to um, kind of get my life on track in a direction that. Um, you know, was um, in some sense returning to a lot of things that I had been given um, as a child. But the, the big wake up call for me was was becoming a father and realizing that I had to pass certain things on or, or had the responsibility of passing certain things on to to another person and, and helping with the formation of another soul. And so that that was really the call to arms. But um, that started me on a journey of, um, you know, sort of reading and thinking about going back to school. Um, I returned to school and got a master's degree in humanities, which meant a whole lot more reading and then writing. And all of that sort of accumulated in um, teaching in uh, two different settings. Now I've taught in a classical Christian school setting and then a private boys school as well. And now I'm uh, homeschooling the kids full time and doing a bit of teaching and podcasting on the side. It's wonderful. I think many moms will resonate with the the moment you become a parent, all of a sudden you realize 
there's great work to be done before you. And for a lot of people, once their children start to grow, they start to think about school. They It's the first time they've actually done any research into education. What is education? Really, what is discipleship? What is formation? As you keep digging, you realize that's the question you're actually asking to your point about how all homes are homeschools. Like you're always learning even outside of formal lessons. Um, I'm very intrigued to know how exactly you stumbled into Mason within teaching a classical school. Sometimes she's not really brought up. So how did you find her? And how did you work her into your pedagogy? Well, I wish I could remember the exact moment that I came across Charlotte Mason, but I'm almost certain it had to do with just following a footnote or two. And it may have been in a, in a paragraph. There's, there's one page in a Stratford Caldecott book where he references Mason. Uh, that book is called Beauty in the Word. And he sort of includes Mason in with a few other educators and really um, people who he was sort of drawing from various philosophies of education to inform his own thoughts and presentation on reimagining um, specifically Catholic education. But, you know, anytime you're uh, reading and following footnotes, you, you start to find that a lot of things start to overlap and uh, a name that you might not have thought ab anything about um, now all of a sudden stands out to you because you've seen this name somewhere else. And so I just started doing a little bit more digging into Mason, which led me to her her six volumes. And I'll never forget um, sitting down with her first volume uh, and and realizing that as a parent of young children, she just had so many not only um, beautifully formed philosophical ideas, but also some very practical, well, this is what you need to do about it. Right. And and I just found it um, immensely helpful in knowing how to translate a lot of the things that I was thinking about in the classical world into, OK, well, how do you do this when you have, you know, uh, a, a four year old mm -hmm. um, in front of you? Yes, Mason is incredibly practical. It's one of the things I love about her is that she does not live high up in the sky, which there are other classical philosophers who also were practical. But for their time, like when Quintilian says that you should have a good nurse who is a good speaker and doesn't quite help the modern mom who does not have a nursemaid up in the nursery most likely. But Mason will run you through how to how to do a habit, how to teach reading, all of that. And that is very helpful. Well you just, you know, you, you mentioning having a nurse at home reminds me of something that I want to talk about later in our conversation. Um, yeah. sometimes when you read someone like Mason and you, you think about um the fact that that in in so many places in her work she is addressing someone who has been hired by the family to mm -hmm. to be in this role um, of, of nurse and educator, um, we get a glimpse into some of the things that we've lost um, with the um, really the, the, the breakdown of the household, which we mm -hmm. can explore later in our conversation. Sure. Oh, I'm very intrigued now. <laughs> I don't know what you're thinking about. Okay. Well, before the household breaks down, um, I'm actually curious with the responsibility to put before your children, truth, goodness, and beauty. A lot of times I think that sounds more like it's mom's domain. I think it's partly the way that we talk about how it's done or the picture a mom might find on Instagram about a way she might be able to do it. And so it's sort of just 
tends to seem like something that's moms do. And even the language we use, I think sometimes we off-putting for a dad who maybe works all day and isn't really reading about educational philosophy. It just sounds kind of like, okay, well, have fun with your tea parties and looking at lovely pictures. I don't really know how to jump into this world. So how does this fit your understanding of your role as a father? You mentioned when you, you know, you had your first child, all of a sudden you realized you needed to pass things on to him. How has that sort of framed how you've parented since? Well, I mean, historically, you know, education hasn't always um, been purely in, in, the, in the realm of uh, the mother's domain. Sure. Um, really, the education, um, particularly of, of sons, uh, fell to fell to fathers, and you know, um, and then of course, you know, um, depending on uh, the time and, and setting, you know, and uh, how sort of girls were invited into an education. Um, it is true that largely their education was at home uh, with a mother or with with a nurse of some sort. But at some point, you know, the, the boy was expected to um, take on the, the, the family mm-hmm. trade. And so that meant learning side by side, um, watching his father work. And, you know, there was a time well, the you know we 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 mark it in history as the industrial revolution, when all of these fathers left the home, and all of a sudden you have young men there having no idea what dad does all day, right. and having no idea really what their family um, trade is, or or maybe there's the complete sort of um, disillusion of that trade, because dad is now in the factory or in the or in the office or or something to that uh, to that nature. And so I am interested as someone who, who, you know, is is looking to older paths. Let's say, at reimagining that that father child relationship, and of course um, bringing the whole family into it and thinking, okay, well, what is dad's role today? Um, what are some of the things that we've lost? Some of the things we miss out on when dad is completely removed from that sphere of influence. And of course, as I said before, there's no way you can completely remove any parent from the role of educator, because even when you're not directly teaching in a formal way, your children are yep. watching you and they're learning. And you better believe uh, they're going to imitate you um, if they see this habitual practice day in and day out, whatever mm-hmm. it is, for good or for ill. Oh, absolutely. And even thinking about imitation in the classical understanding, that is so much of the learning process. You are to imitate what is good. And so even as we think about practically for the dad who maybe doesn't have a strong touch point on the homeschool, like he's just not able to be around and be there very often with his work schedule, knowing that the that any of his children, sons or daughters, are imitating how he does handle certain things when he is in the home or how he does pursue certain activities for leisure or the types of things he reads or how he speaks to them, how he points to them, how he makes his decisions, all of those very ordinary commonplace things that all parents are going to be doing in front of their children just in the course of life. Um, That sort of imitation is actually can be pointing towards the ideal type, which we've talked about throughout this season, which of course is Christ. Um, But we are constantly pointing that direction in our education and then trying to learn how to imitate how to imitate the patterns of beauty and truth and goodness. Um, I also think there's a there's a sad part in which beauty and goodness are no longer seen as important things in our culture. And so they sound like fun little add-ins. And then when homeschooling typically is done by moms in, in homes right now, and Mason has made headway majorly in the homeschool world, as I think she's starting to break into the classical school world. But when you have, when you have such a post-enlightenment, rationally-oriented education, beauty and goodness just sound like, oh, those are fun sprinkles that you can do because you're at home, as opposed to these actually cultivate the soul. And without them, you don't know how to love or defend anything 
true or good. Um, you actually completely, as Lewis would say, remove the chest in men. Mm-hmm. So we can yeah. we can make this a real downer episode <laughs> if we talk about education in that way. But it is true if you think about the fragmentation and then the loss of understanding what beauty and goodness do to a person in that imitation. No, I, I think I think you're you're just right on the money, Autumn. I mean, you know, all of these these things. Uh, particularly beauty, you know, is, is sort of the transcendental that, that oftentimes gets neglected um, because it's useless. Mm-hmm. And we can explore what I mean by that uh, later on. But, you know, it's right. uh, in, in a in a world where we're so driven by utility and, um, you know, even if even if uh, whatever this this thing we've we've developed or this process we put in place, even if it makes us miserable, um, there's something about the post enlightenment mind that says, well, we're making progress. So, um, it must be a good thing. Mm. But of course, you know, the day you come home to an ugly home, um, the day you realize that your children, um, even though you, you gave them a lot of things or you gave them a lot of opportunities to be involved in various activities, they're ugly people. That's the, that's the moment when you realize, oh, maybe, maybe beauty should have been a part of their life from from the nursery uh, on on through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What does beauty do to a person, Trey? <laughs> uh, well, uh, it attracts us <laughs> for one. Um, yes. But only if if we're we're rightly rightly ordered. And um, I think I think we'll probably get deep into that conversation as we move forward. Um, I, I want to maybe as a way of teeing that up. Go back to your question about the role of the father. Yeah, please. Because I, I have a few, I have a few sort of um, maybe pegs that we could hang some things on that have helped me think through um, maybe some ideas that will inspire people, some calls to responsibility. Really, please let's do that. I like that. So I like to reestablish the father as the headmaster mm-hmm. of the homeschool. And I'm taking that, of course, from the biblical notion that the man is the head of the household. Right. And of course, you know, perhaps in another conversation, you know, we could we could probably spend the whole time together just talking about what that means. Mm-hmm. And I'd be very interested to hear um, what it means from your perspective. Um, but it is something that's there and it's something that needs to be not just talked about, but also lived into. And part of that is a call to responsibility. And so if we could think of it, um, in those terms as, well, someone needs to be in this position of leadership, which I'm going to mainly focus on being a place of responsibility. Then if we're going to bring school into the home, what does that what is that role in the in the typical school but the headmaster right now traditionally the headmaster was a teaching administrator mm-hmm. i know that anymore sometimes it's it's purely administrative position but that's actually really not what the what the position calls for right it's called for someone who is the lead teacher the the teacher who um not only bears the responsibility of everything the school does or fails to do but is also actively teaching at the same time, someone who's in the trenches, so to speak, with the other teachers. And I think for those who are listening who have taught, um, they know what it's like to work with someone who 
has teaching experience or is um, better yet teaching currently while at the same time leading the school. So whether that be a headmaster or headmistress in the family, that role, it seems to me, would naturally fall to the father. Um, and so a lot of dads will think, well, I'm not the one who's directly teaching them yep. you know, because I'm not home to do it. How am I involved in the life of the school, so to speak, the homeschool? Well, I would say, well, you're the headmaster. Yeah. And so I think the next question that would be asked by the Commonplace listeners would be, so what practically then is he doing? Is it that he's setting kind of the course and vision and we're talking at a high level? Is it that, you know, some people do family weekly meetings? I don't know if that's something you guys do in your homeschool where both parents will be involved, all the kids will be involved and kind of like a weekly recap. Um, There are a couple of ideas like that, but with that idea of the dad having the role of a headmaster, which I think when dads, I can see it going a couple of ways. I think that when a dad knows he he doesn't really know much about education, he kind of knows about the curriculum that his wife picked on her own and purchased on her own and set up on her own. He doesn't feel like he actually has that position, but I think what's a unique part of it is that you can abdicate the role but a wife can't come and fill the role of a dad, even if the role is empty. You know what I mean? And so there are going to be various yes. ways that a dad might act as headmaster. It'll look very different in my home than it'll look in your home. Um, but what are some practical ways that it might look like for a dad yeah. to be a headmaster? What does that mean in terms of involvement? Because that's what moms are trying to figure out, I think, at The Commonplace. Of course. And that's exactly the right question. I think I would say, based on what you just laid out, you know, if if you're already in a position where you have, um, as you as you said, sort of established the parameters of the school, picked out the curriculum, basically done all this by yourself, mm-hmm. well, frankly, dad is already late to the game. But I understand that that's the position a lot of mother teachers find themselves in. Yeah. And part of that, of course, is because of what we were saying earlier about how sometimes these responsibilities um, are put into these containers where, okay, well, that's mom's responsibility mm-hmm. as the the homeschool teacher. But this call to responsibility is say, wait a minute, dad, you need to have a lot more involvement in every one of those details and at every level, um, not micromanaging, of course, but leading. Mm-hmm. And so how do you do that sort of after the fact? Well, I think it's going to go back to what I'm calling this, this call to responsibility. And um, I want to get into the specifics of that. But before I do so, I want to maybe give one other big picture idea oh, sure. that is going to frame every, everything for us. Yeah. And I think you'll like this a lot because as someone who talks a lot about um, being a common family, <laughs> yes, um, I want to sort of riff on that for a minute and, and use the word ordinary. Sure. I'll accept. Because... Thank you. Um, I, I expect you'll change your podcast name here shortly. <laughs> so the the ordinary family, okay, like the common family, there is a way in which we, quote unquote, ordinarily use this phrase, right, in common parlance. But the archaic sense of the word ordinary, and I think you'll find this fascinating, and you may know it already because I know you're you're someone who, who reads and, and thinks a lot about words. But the archaic sense of the word ordinary is an inn that serves meals at regular appointed times. I did not know that. Yeah, go figure. Keep going. Um, Okay, so with that vision in mind, 
right? Have, have you got the vision of the end and, and you, you know you can go and you stay there? I mean, what's the first question that you ask yourself when you wake up in the, in the dark, right, because of the blackout shades in a hotel? The first question you ask yourself as you roll over and uh, see your husband there is, have we missed breakfast? What time is it? <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, because you want to know, like, okay, like, you got to call the front desk. What time is breakfast? But you know breakfast is at a set time. Mm-hmm. And inns, when they used to host travelers, um, you know, think maybe more along the lines nowadays of, like, a bed and breakfast, there would be breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Mm-hmm. And you could expect it to be served at a certain time, on time, every time. Right. And that was something that you could just count on. And so you can imagine yourself as a weary traveler looking forward to getting to this inn and knowing that, well, you're going to make it in time for the meal. And of course, with that um, comes the fellowship of the other people in the inn. And then, of course, um, the, the, the rest and respite you get from staying uh, at this place that you know is going to feed you again the next morning. Mm-hmm. Well, wouldn't it be beautiful if that's how our homes operated? Mm-hmm. Now, I'm saying all this as someone who in the past has sort of resisted. I went through a period of, in my life where I sort of resisted routine and maybe every, mm. everyone does this to some extent or the other, but it, I wasn't sort of naturally bent that way uh, in terms of, you know, a lot of people, it's, it's sort of part of their personality. They, they need things to kind of, they need the trains to run on time. Right. For me, that was a learned, uh, a learned um, practice. But if, if we think in terms of the, the ordinary family, um, just in the very practical sense of, well, this is, a, this is a household in which you know that you are going to have a pillow to lay your head on at night, and you know when you wake up, there's going to be breakfast and then lunch and dinner. I mean, so many, so many kids grow up in households that, that lack those basic things. But that's, that's the place to start. And so with that vision in mind, I think we could say that you know, there are a lot of other things that need to be brought into the life of the family um, in an ordinary way. Mm-hmm. In, the, in the church calendar, we have um, ordinary time. Right. And that is set up next to, um, you know, roughly speaking, like the holidays in which we could call like this extraordinary time mm-hmm. or this time in which things are sort of beyond the ordinary or, or they're, they're I don't know, like the ordinary is enhanced in some mm-hmm. way. Yeah. And I think as someone who, um, you know, is interested in, in, in liturgy in the home and the liturgical calendar, you could see how, you know, bringing that type of orderliness into the home um, would be a great benefit to the family. Yes. But it requires a leader to implement it. It requires someone with um, not just the vision but also the authority to um, promote it and to enforce it and to encourage it. Mm-hmm. And so with that in mind, um, I, I'd like to kind of move the conversation towards how mothers can recruit fathers into that position. We started sort of thinking of it in terms of the headmaster, but I'd like to get a little bit more deeply theological about it, if that's okay. Yeah, be my guest. Okay. So we have this call to responsibility um, to be the leader of the household. And I think this this word household is important because I think the householder is sort of fittingly the role of the father. 
Yeah. Whereas traditionally, we think of the mother as a homemaker. Mm-hmm. Now, listen, I understand that I'm speaking very generally, and in many ways, those are shared responsibilities between mother and father. And depending on your situation, you know, a mother um, can very well step up and to the best of her ability, be the householder. Mm -hmm. And the father can also sort of step into that role of being a homemaker. It's not like these hard, fast lines, but it is um, in some ways like the appropriate office that they exercise sort of their, their, their fullness of, of who they're called to be in those roles as householder and homemaker. And I would argue that one cannot make a home uh, successfully unless it's inside of a hold. And mm. what I mean by that is, is, is this very like, um, I don't know, let's say even like medieval idea of like a castle as like your hold. And within the hold, there's safety and security to have a life, to make a home. Right. And so part of the responsibility of the father is to establish the, the thing that holds the family together. In other words, to make it possible for mom to, to bring in those, those elements that are going to sort of uh, enrich the home with with truth, goodness, and beauty, because the father sort of provides the the structure to make that possible. Yeah, and that you know traditionally has has been by you know providing financially for the household. Yep. yep. Um, providing security, right? Like who is it that usually gets up in the middle of the night, right? To, to check out the, the noise or, or the, or the kid yep. who's running to the house and asleep. <laughs> um, and so all of these things, you know, you can see how hopefully with these, with these big ideas, these calls to responsibility, you can think about your, your own situation, your own home and see how mom and dad can start stepping into those roles in a, in a, in an appropriate way. Um, so I want to throw three things out to you and then kick it back to you and just get your feedback on this. Sure. The headmaster as the, the head of the school or the head of the household um, is also called to a couple of other vacation, vocations, and that is of priest, prophet, and king. And I'd like to explore each of those, uh, not in a whole lot of detail, but just kind of go through. And um, I have a lot of practical um, recommendations for how the father can be um, encouraged to step more fully into those into those those roles. Great. Okay, so here's the phrase that I would like to uh, encourage a lot of uh, your listeners to use with their husbands, and that is, "Can you lead us?" Okay. Okay. Now, I'm going to get really specific about that in a minute because sometimes I think. Uh, you know, and, and husbands and wives can do this to each other. We can sit back and we can, we can wish that, you know, our significant other would be more, whatever, fill in the blank. I wish my husband would take more responsibility, uh, in homeschooling. Mm -hmm. I wish, um, you know, my husband would, would do whatever. I mean, it could be any number of different things, but one of the things I'm convinced of autumn is that, um, specific asks are always better than vague wishes. Oh, yes, 100%. And hopefully you'll, uh, this won't cause too much offense, but I, I think I think women have a bad habit. Now, sometimes they can be very specific, but I think sort of in their own meditations, 
and then sometimes this comes out oftentimes in the middle of the night, <laughs> is this vague wish of, I wish you would be more whatever. And oftentimes, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the most common vague wish is, I wish you would be more romantic. Am I, am I totally off base here? <laughs> I don't know if most women think that. I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not okay. going to speak to the general population. I'm, I'm sure that's probably high up there on like a list of like the top five. Yeah. But I don't know if I would say it's the most, I'm not sure. I think tired moms might want some chore help. <laughs> you know, I, you know there, there's sort of this, the, there's a stereotypical, uh, you know, but there, it's stereotype because it's there's some truth to it. Yes. That, usually. you know, there's a point in, in a relationship where you sort of reflect back on things and say, well, I wish you were more romantic. Oftentimes that's combined with like you used to be. Like you used right? to be. Mm-hmm. Now here's, Here's my, here's my, um, I guess my response to that. I think there's something, there's something, um, good and right about that wish, but it's too vague. It's, it's very much like the, this, this vague statement that schools make about wishing parents would get more involved. Mm, it's like, what does yeah. that mean? Yeah. Parent involvement is, is like the vaguest ask you could, you know, a school could put out there. Right. There's no call to action in that. That's right. Yeah. So the call to action then um, that I would like to recommend is using this phrase, will you lead us? And the things that I would like to attach to that are going to hopefully nest really nicely within these three vocations of priest, prophet, and king. And so if you're wanting to recruit your husband to be more involved in the life of your homeschool, you know, you could start by first recognizing his uh, vocation as the priest of the domestic church, right? Okay. So God has ordained your husband through the sacrament of marriage to lead this domestic church within your home. Mm-hmm. And so what can you ask? Well, can you lead us in prayer? Mm-hmm. That's a, that's a, that's a pretty, um, that's a pretty straightforward one. Um, can you lead us in reading the scripture? Mm-hmm. Now, before I get any further, I want to say that you have to recognize and respect your husband's personality as well. Yes, yes. And for some people, you know, you know, if if you ask, uh, I'll just I'll just use me as as one example, and then give another example. Not to say that one is better than the other, because I'll tell you what my flaws are. If you ask me, Trey, can you? lead this, I'll say, sure. And I'll just jump up and do it. Other people, other, other, other husbands will say, yeah, well, give me a day or a week and I'll come up with a plan and then we'll do it. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Now, listen, there's, there's pros and cons, let's say to both of those approaches, but the key is that the husband is called to responsibility because that grants him the opportunity to step into that role. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So whether he does it immediately or whether or not, or whether he sort of takes it in and processes it and then plans for it, um, as long as the call is there, I feel like that's that's the the most important first step. Um, can you bless us? Is something that mm-hmm. I don't think enough fathers are asked. Yeah, right? I don't think I know any mom who asks that. Well, let me encourage it. Um, we culturally we do ask this question when you call up your girlfriend's dad and say, "Can I have your blessing mm, to sure. marry your daughter?" Right. Right. 
So let's just keep that. Let's just keep that train rolling, man. Let's let's ask dads to bless their family all the time. A practice that we started in our home is um, we have some holy water from the children's baptism that um, is probably needing to be refreshed. But uh, I use this 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 container of holy water to bless the children at night before they go to bed, and it's just become one of those habits that the children. Um, really uh, sort of long for and they ask for, but they ask for in this expectant way because it's become ordinary. They know that there's a guarantee that if dad's home, he's going to come in our room and, and, and put the sign of the cross on our forehead and bless us. Mm-hmm. And that, that is, um, that is a, a thing that I think fathers should be called to um, uh, more, more often um, yeah. that, that, that priestly role of blessing. Should I keep going then? Yeah, keep going if you want to move through the other, the other two offices. Yeah. So, so prophet um, is very much connected to this idea of blessing as well. But um, another thing that that if you know you reflect back on the Old Testament, the prophets were very keen to do um, is they would, um, they would bless and and sort of um, give, you know, encouragement to the people. Say this is what you're doing right. But the prophet also has the the responsibility of warning the people. Mm-hmm. Um, if you continue down this path, here is how things are going to end up. Mm-hmm. If you continue to disobey God, here is how things are going to get really bad for you. Yes. Yeah. And so I think the mother teacher can call the husband to responsibility um, as the prophet in the land, right? So so not only do you know now we've you know now our kingdom is everything the light touches here right so it's not just the hold but it's also our our yard and it's increasingly you know the neighborhood and the community because these families are are reaching out and and changing the uh the life and the atmosphere of their communities but it starts with dads being called to be the prophet in the land and sometimes that means calling dad and and saying you know, this, this is the mother asking the father, hey, can you can you tell our family what things are going to be like if we keep behaving this way? <laughs> you know, if, if things keep going this way. It's, it's a little bit yeah. differently in the house when dad comes in and speaks to those things. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, and I've kind of reflected on this some more because I used to say, before we had kids that I would, one of the things I would not do that my parents did is say, wait until dad gets home. Mm-hmm. Um, because I felt like that was kind of using this manipulative fear of like our mm-hmm. father. Um, yeah. But anymore, I think, you know, there is, there is something powerful to, to, and you have to be careful with how you phrase it. I, I, I still mm-hmm. think that's true. You know, you can't constantly sort of punt to dad because that puts right. mom in a very weak position. Yes. But if, if you call dad in and say, and of course, this conversation happens in the private of, of the, the bedchamber, right, with the, the Lord and Lady. I'm going to talk about King in a minute. But they go out to the, the, the peasants now, the, the, the princesses and, the and you know, princes of the kingdom. And they say, you know, the king has, or, you know, or the prophet has, has a decree to make. You see how all these overlap. Yeah. Um, and if things continue in this way, here's what's going to happen. It's a prophecy about the future and you can trust in it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so the last one, and thank you for your patience and letting me go through these sort of in like a bullet point order. But the last one is, is to call dads to their role as, as the King, 
you know, the king of his castle. And, you know, in, in that way, you can, you can ask the father to, to make judgments, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You can say, you know, I've, you know, with an older child, you know, we've been talking about this thing. And, you know, so, you know, Johnny wants to do this, he wants to go out, or he wants to go to that, you know, you be the judge, right? You mm-hmm. tell us. And it's this, it's this act of submission that the mother is modeling for the children mm-hmm. to say, you know what, at the end of the day, we're going to let dad decide. Right. And so it calls him to responsibility. Or you can say, will you preside over, I mean, it could be any given thing. And I think you're really good at figuring out ways to um, sort of bring in ceremonies into the life of the family. Thanks. But, you know, can you preside over this meal? You know, asking dad to, to carve the turkey is one thing, but, you know, really putting him in that, you know, at the head of the table, quite mm-hmm. literally. Right. Um, there's, there's a great old film called uh, How Green Was My Valley. And I think you can watch it for free on YouTube. But one of the things I noticed about that film, it's about this old uh, minor town or minor village um and and the dad and the sons come home from working all day in the mine and after they wash up and sit down no one touches their plate until dad has taken the first bite Hmm. now listen a lot of this will sound to the modern ear as just a bunch of old-fashioned sort of um you know well we've left all that behind and now we're sort of in this place of you know total equality among the sexes and this that and the Mm -hmm. other but your question i think is rooted in sort of this need for fathers to, you know, your, your larger question about getting dads involved in homeschooling really has to start with these, with these larger vocations and these offices, mm-hmm. um, asking dad to step more fully into those roles. So I, I'm curious, what are your thoughts about all this, Autumn? Oh, I have many. My Mason mind is running. I hope on one, I hope firstly that this is encouraging both to moms and I'm sure dads have been brought in to maybe listen to this episode as well. Um, Because a lot of these things, like the fact that a husband being a financial provider for the home is one way that the homeschool is like foundationally supported. And then building up and around that, these roles that I think a lot of men are already actually doing, one for those men to feel encouraged, like, okay, I am already doing some of these ordinary things. It's not that I'm way out here and like off of education island and I don't even know how to enter. I'm actually, oh, I'm already part of this. It's just coming from this different, distinct role that I have um, because I think distinctions are important. And I think ceremony does show the beauty of the ordinary. If we're not going to use the word common today, we'll use ordinary. And I think that for moms as well, they should be encouraged to hear of these more ordinary ways in which their husbands are already supporting the homeschool or the home education, the whole home and the formation of the children in the home um, in ways that just look very different than perhaps what mom is doing. I also like these ideas because they are ideas, which we know will do far more to encourage any person than a list of prescriptive to-dos, which unfortunately is generally what we come to this kind of conversation looking for. What exactly can my husband do, like a checklist, so that I feel super encouraged? But if a, if a dad is taking this role of I'm making judgments or I am giving these prophetic words about what will happen if my children and our whole home stay on the path towards life, or if we choose to to leave the path of life, to follow the dragon folly, whatever it is, this is what's going to happen. This sort of um, protection and provision will actually nurture every member of the family 
in all of life yeah. aspect, which I think is very Mason. It, we're getting very much into atmosphere, into discipline, into life. So even if maybe mom is primarily on the day-to-day level, bringing in that generous curriculum, education is a life, like that part of it, it should not feel like it's far away from the habits that dad is overseeing, from the atmosphere that the parents are creating. Um, and a lot of what you're talking about are the big atmospheric things that lead into the types of decisions you make as your family habit. So you touch into discipline in that regard. And in doing that, like ordering your life, whether that's through liturgical living or just understanding that God's patterns and designs for us in our formation as we grow to what we see as the flourishing life, because that's ultimately what we're always pursuing. Also, the end of education. The question is, what is a flourishing person? To your point earlier, like you come home and you realize your home is ugly and your kids are ugly. You have to ask, what should a flourishing person look like? And then as you bring in all these things together, you're actually feeding the minds, the hearts, and I mean, the souls of your children, of your wife, so that they actually flourish within their home. If a father is filling the role that God has given him, Mm. it doesn't have to be that he has a logbook that he's checking off to be a part of the homeschool, to be encouraging the homeschool. By fulfilling his actual role, he should be bringing life into the home because he's following God's design. So I see that as touching on all three of Mason's instruments really well. And Mm. also hopefully truly encouraging that like many, if a mom is able to stay home and homeschool her children, there's a very good chance that dad is already fulfilling a lot of these positions or at least parts of these positions in order to make that a reality. And so it should feel like a natural step for a dad to then dig in a little bit deeper as opposed to like, I don't speak Mason. I have no idea what my my wife is doing. It's much more connected than that because it's all, it's a holistic thing. Autumn, I I think you couldn't be more right. You know, there's two things that we shouldn't neglect. And that is that there are situations uh, one thing is that there are situations in which uh, fathers really have abdicated their roles. And that brings a lot of pain and a lot of suffering into the life of a home. And so maybe a mother is listening to this and she's thinking, okay, well, this sounds great, but I just have a really hard time imagining yep. you know, um, this man really taking that responsibility. And I want to talk about that because there's a saint that we can look to that we can derive a lot of inspiration and encouragement from. But the other thing that we can't neglect is the fact that these, um, in, in a lot of ways, these this awareness of what's missing, let's say, does come from kind of what we were saying about the, the dissolution of the, the household itself. Mm-hmm. Because... You know, even if you have a situation where dad is is work, you know, he has a job where he can provide for the family in a way that, you know, mom and the kids can, you know, have what they need in terms of, you know, having a, a really rich and robust um, homeschool experience, whether that's, you know, being able to afford the, the books you want or go on the trips you'd like to take or, um, you know, take on the full, you know, aesthetic as, as, as we're very keen to sometimes poke fun at, you know, some, some people, you know, um, some people are are in that position and yet still feel the pain of, well, dad is still not here very often. Of course. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, so he's bringing in, you know, a, a good paycheck, but, but he's still absent in so many ways from the, from the family's life. And so that's why, 
you know, some people might look at our situation and think that it's, in some ways, it's very non-traditional. But I'd say it's non-traditional in the sense that, like, we call traditional education traditional, but it's really sort of like this, it's more modern than we really give it credence for mm-hmm. or to. Um, and so what I what I mean by that is my wife and I have been able to figure out ways to make certain sacrifices and and intentionally make certain changes in the life of our family so that we could maybe reimagine what is oftentimes thought of as the quote unquote traditional yes. family where dad leaves every morning, goes to work, and the kids don't see him until it's time right. for dinner and then he puts them in bed. Now, I know that a lot of families are in a situation where they're still working through that, but what I want to notice and affirm is the fact that that, that situation, even if it's providing a lot, let's say, um, financially for the family, it still can be painful. Yes. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. And you're, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know a whole lot about your situation other than the fact that I think your husband works at home as well. He does. And so I think the two of you have even had to probably make some decisions about, well, what would it look like for our family to be all here all the time, mm-hmm. which comes with great benefit, but undoubtedly comes with challenges as well. It does. Yes. I think if you, I think a lot of people experienced this in 2020 when all of a sudden a lot of dads were working at home. And so all of a sudden right. it was mm, loud cars. Sorry. All of a sudden there was a question of how do we all work and live and do school even in this space when we're all kind of on top of each other. And so I think there are usually, at least for us, there have just been more conversations about what are the roles and duties for each of us. And then when do we fulfill those? And kind of respecting mm-hmm. that we have different roles and duties is usually a big part of that. Um, but I do think to your point about the mom listening, who's like, well, this sounds great, but this is just never going to happen. I think it would have been helpful probably earlier on to say this is for the just a general conversation in which you are, you know that dad does want truth, goodness, and beauty for his children. And I, I think that is something that typically typically comes up with commonplace listeners is that a husband does want his children to be educated in this method, in this vein, he, the parts that he knows he does want what's best, but then he doesn't know how to connect into it. So this is sort of like trying to think of the practical side in which there is a dad who does long for, I mean, ultimately God, like he does want his children to know God, to yes. know God's world, to move in it. And what will make that so painful is when that desire isn't there, because if that's not the foundational effort behind even a dad being gone a lot for work, whatever that is, then there's going to be a misapplication in which that um, that tie of the family that should be a very freeing thing, that it becomes more like a, a bondage that's suffocating and no one feels supported, mm. as opposed to the picture you were, you were bringing about with the three offices that sounded like it was such a support to the other members of the family for a dad filling his role. Right. Uh, so here's, here's the, the, the challenge. And, and I just encourage people to just you know, take take the challenge and and then give us feedback. Um, fortunately, you know there are a lot of resources out there that will give you um, you know a list of activities and things to do. But but my encouragement is that these things will. This is going to sound like a bit of a cop out, but I assure you that it's not. The, what you need to do will become obvious to you, and I mean that technically obvious ob via along the way, like you will bump into it. Like you'll be like, oh, this is what we need to do if you're walking down the right path. And the right path 
is what I've laid mm. out in terms of those calls for responsibility. If you say, you know, I'm going to call my husband to these um, to these offices, and he's willing to to step into them, right? That's that's a key to this whole thing too, right? He has to be yes. he has to respond to the call. Then it's going to become obvious because you're going to be then having those conversations, right, where you're turning together uh, towards towards the 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 solution and the answer, which is that okay, well, if I am you know priest, prophet, and king, and I'm the headmaster, well, okay, you know, all of a sudden, like the male brain, which is oftentimes thinking in very technical aspects, is going to start thinking, well, if this is my job, then I have to make sure I show up in certain ways. And so that means, well, I'm someone who really enjoys being outdoors. So maybe one of the things I can do is I can be the person who is responsible for leading us in outdoor activities. I'm someone who's good with my hands in terms of like carpentry. Well, I'm the person who can step up and show Johnny and Susie how to hammer nails into this board. Mm -hmm. Right. That's something that I can do. I'm, I'm, I'm almost willing to guarantee, and this is something my dad says, it's the Floyd Bailey guarantee that if you like step into those roles, these things will just start becoming obvious because they're just along the path. They're just there for the picking. Yeah. Um, you don't necessarily need, I think, I think we get it backwards if we start with like the checklist of things, but we haven't stepped into the the bigger responsibility. Yes. You because know, we don't have I mean? the, li- we don't have the living idea. There hasn't been, any, there's nothing inspiring about a to-do list because you don't understand the why behind it. I think I, okay. I think you and I could probably hang out in the philosophical world for forever, but I, I like that you're bringing this practical <laughs> little bit in here yeah. because you and I could both be like, we had such a good practical conversation and neither of us said anything super practical. Um, however, I think one missing, one missing link is for the mom to ask, like, will you actually be a, a partner? will you take this role of headmaster? And then we work together. Like you're saying, then it becomes this conversation. Yeah. Dad's not left alone to start figuring out what to do. Mom's not left alone to just right. have these silent witches. Back to your original point, which I think could be very easy. Like, well, I wish you would just see this need right in front of you rather than saying. That's it. Because dad doesn't right. see the need because he's not homeschooling. He doesn't necessarily know the day-to-day needs that are popping up. He's just like, oh, here they are, wild and crazy like they were when I left them this morning. And so instead, um, actually asking those things like you mentioned at the beginning, but then for the mom particularly, I want to say to be humble enough then to take the suggestions. So if you're asking for a problem to be solved, if you're asking for input for a dad, it's very easy then for mom to be like, well, actually, Charlotte Mason says in volume six, da, 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 da. And dad wouldn't know that. And we can just come at it from the wrong direction because we already know where we want to end up. I think, and we've talked about this within Patreon before, like actually coming to be like, hey, Maybe it's asking to help solve a problem. Maybe it's, hey, this thing's going on in school. I love it. It's amazing. Our kids are responding super well to it. How do you think we could use this in other areas of our life? Asking these sorts of questions, but then allowing him then to step into the role, whether that be with an idea or a practice that he wants to implement. And then right. to your point of along the way, you'll figure out what to do next. That gives him the starting the starting chance to go. Um, I think there could be a temptation easily for the mom who's been reading or listening to podcasts or doing every day to be like, nope, nope, wrong. Mm, Nope. Doesn't look like Charlotte Mason to me. And dad gets shut down out of the gate. So that's actually one tip that I always pull out is to find a way to either share something you're really enjoying in your homeschool or your kids are really enjoying it, enjoying or have a problem that you ask for sincere help and then actually take his answers from either one of those questions and and do them. Well, as as usual, Autumn, you're, you're exactly right. Um, I don't want to forget the mother who's in that position of having a husband who has just 
no um, no sort of demonstrated desire to to step into these roles, and so she feels just very right, lost and very. Um, yeah. uh, this 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 is a this is a reality for for many people, sadly, and I want to encourage those women to to look to Saint Monica. Okay, Saint Monica was a woman who lived with a she was a Christian woman who lived with a pagan husband mm-hmm. who was you know, depending on the day, um, you know, um, treated her well, but, you know, he had his, his moments where he was abusive. He had his, um, infidelities. He had his, um, of course, his complete disregard for her, her faith and her piety. Um, now of course the way the story ends, and I encourage you to, to look this up for yourself. Um, but she is the mother of St. Augustine. Yep. And it was through years and years and years of submission and service to her family that not only uh, helped her son find faith and go on to become you know, the, the great uh, saint that we know him to be, uh, but also after 25 years of marriage, uh, she led her husband to Christ as well, mm. um, really just through a life of, of service. Oh, I'm so glad you talked about that, particularly because um, those stories, when you read them, it can be easy to kind of jump through the time timetable like, oh, yes, it took this many years. Oh, but then look what happened. But when you're in the middle of those years, 25 years is a very long time. Right. St. Augustine was, was oh, a wildly sort of young man. Um, it, it would have been yeah. heartbreaking to have been his mother when you actually read, even through his own confessions, and you read mm-hmm. what his life was like. You're like this would have been right. awful as a mother to watch your child live. Um, and yeah, I love, I love that. That's excellent encouragement. Well, Autumn, I want to give you a chance to um, ask another question, um, but if we can in a minute, um, I'd like to, to talk very briefly about each of the uh, the fruits of the Spirit, because I, I think that'd be a good way to round out our conversation, because I have two main arguments, uh, and that is one, um, teacher mothers can call their, their husbands and, and, and the fathers and the leaders of their household to responsibility. And that's 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 a big piece of the puzzle here, but the second is um, we have to live out the fruit of the spirit. But one of the things that we oftentimes neglect is that the fruit of the spirit is made up of habits that actually form in a particular order, which I think is oftentimes forgotten. And if I could share that with your listeners, I think that would be a very practical and helpful um, way of of thinking about you know what they can do sort of once they get off the call here, things that they can apply immediately. Yeah, I will not say no to the fruit of the Spirit, so go for it. Okay. <laughs> okay, good. Um, well, so Galatians chapter 5, of course, is where we find the fruit of the Spirit. And um, I'm borrowing all of this entirely from a essay that John Sr. wrote, and I can provide the uh, the text, um, and, and maybe you can put that out. So if listeners wanted to read this essay, in its full format, they could they could do that. Absolutely. But he wants us to think about Galatians 5 as really the blueprint for the restoration of the family. Hmm. And so whether you find yourself in a position like St. Monica, or you find yourself in a position like all of us, right, these common people who realize we fall far short from the, fall, fall far short <sighs> from the ideal. Yes, we do. Then you know, we need this guidance. And and a lot of the things that you've been talking about in terms of habits 
um, pair really nicely with how we can think about um, growing in and, and practicing the, the fruit of the spirit. I'm excited. So when, you know, when we have a habit, well, first of all, let's establish that a virtue is a habit, right? Yes. And the practice of this habit is what we classically refer to as an exercise. An mm-hmm. exercise in virtue is, is a phrase that, that oftentimes is used. God gives us supernatural fruit in the sacrament of marriage. Okay. And so within that sacramental relationship, we have opportunities to practice these habits. Mm-hmm. And we're promised the Holy Spirit to help us grow in these in these various ways. But the way we grow into them is by starting at the bottom. And very much like a right. Jacob's ladder, we we go from the bottom to the top. So what comes first? Well, according to John Sr., and I, I think he's I think he's really laid this out in a beautiful way, is chastity. Now chastity is the resistance to unlawful desires. Now, mm-hmm. oftentimes we think about it within the context of sexual desires, but it's it's much more than that. Um, and of course, if we're resisting unlawful desires, well, we have to have something to fill its place, right? The thing that we're resisting, mm-hmm. we need something good to to fill that void in us, and and we fill it with a desire to be what we what we really are or what we're truly made for. Yes. Right. And so if we can just start there, you can start with, you can be chased by saying, okay, well, I'm going to reject things that are unlawful. And I'm going to desire, even though I may not even have a very clear picture of what it is, I'm going to desire um, the life of a saint. Kind of like we were talking about earlier, right? Pray that God will make you a saint. Of course, what he's probably going to do is you know, invite you into a very rowdy household. <laughs> yes. But that's, that's, that's a very chaste. Um, well, that's, that's the starting point is this, uh, this posture of chastity, which is, um, has to do with what we desire. You move from that to, um, to self-control, right? Mm-hmm. So you say, okay, well, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of getting a, a handle on what I desire. Well, now I have to actually rein myself in and really develop a freedom from unnecessary things. Now, what I mean by that and what senior means by that is not just not just bad things, but even good things that are unnecessary for us, either because of our time and place and or or because of our station in life. Right? Do you have an example? Yeah, okay, so <laughs> sorry. <laughs> like I may have this great desire. This this is a this this may seem trivial, but it's not. I do have a desire to hike the Appalachian Trail. It would be very inappropriate mm-hmm. for me to go do that right now, <laughs> right? Okay, like, you can talk to you can talk to Josh about that. Oh, Same desire, can't go do it. Yes. You know, I mean, if the two of us like linked up and like you and Cassie were fine with like just like six months, school. yeah, just the two of you like hanging out, like doing family life together, maybe. But even then, <laughs> probably not because of all those offices right. that that I currently hold. Right. Now, once, right. you know, I, you know, send the, um, the people of the kingdom out to their own domains, uh, to establish their own holds, their own households, maybe mm-hmm. then, 
but I don't know, maybe, maybe yeah. not. Maybe my window for hiking the Appalachian Trail is past. Now I could get really down and out about that, or I could realize, okay, well, self-control calls me to say, you know what? That's just something I'm not going to get to do. And that's okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Great example. Mm-hmm. All right. So self-control, um, again, we have to replace those unnecessary things with something which St. Thomas will say is wanting absolutely nothing but what God wants. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And that just requires total surrender. Say, God, whatever you want for me to right now, me for getting mixed up in my words, whatever you want for me right now, that's all that I want. Right. Now, I never promised this would be easy, but this is, these are the starting rungs, right? But if we can practice chastity, which maybe it starts with, um, you know, uh, sort of the, the typical, you know, uh, way of sort of knowing, okay, well, in a, in a marriage relationship, I know that I've made decisions, right? Which technically means to cut off all other options. Mm-hmm. Well, if I can make a decision in this one thing, that's going to help me, you know, it's like practicing decision-making and I can do that in other areas of my life. That leads us to modesty. So modesty is doing things according to the appropriate mode, Right, it's it's right there in the word, or like singing on pitch. Mm-hmm. You you could think of it in that way. Um, the way we dress and the way we speak, right? Our our dress and our speech should be modest. What does that mean? Well, it should be appropriate for the occasion, mm-hmm. and we should practice saying the right thing at the right time. And here's the kicker for dads and moms: in the right tone. Yeah, in the right way. Yep. Oh man, <laughs> that's a tough one, but. You know, if I'm practicing chastity and self-control, then all of a sudden I realize, okay, well, in this moment, the modest thing to do, you know, I've got, I've got to sort of figure out the, the I've got to be in tune with my family. Mm, but I, I have that. to get my whole family sort of resonating with all of creation. Right. Okay. Yep. All right. I'm having fun with this. I hope you are like too. This. I am. I okay, like this. Perfect. <laughs> Okay, so what does modesty lead us to? Well, it leads us to faith. Now, okay. a lot of people will get tripped on, tripped up on this because faith is used in in a big, sort of robustly theological way, like faith, hope, and love. Mm-hmm. But but here in this particular context, we're really just talking about common or ordinary fidelity. Oh, okay. Right. Mm-hmm. So I can be faithful in these small little things, right? Just like an ordinary inn, I can serve meals on time right mm-hmm. now now some people will get really sort of um you know think that what, what i'm trying to say here is that you know unless you have a time schedule and stick to it that, that's not what i'm saying no. that's helpful that's an aid but it's really more of like a life of orderliness mm-hmm. um that means you you do what you say you're going to do you show up when you're going to say you're going to show up um i i was convinced a long time ago that that the thing that just makes um, the world go round is people just showing up when they say they're going to show up and doing what they say what they say they're going to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, just think about all those situations where you showed up and whatever you expected to happen didn't happen. Um, that almost has like a butterfly effect, and it just ripples out to the rest of the world. So that that faithfulness, that fidelity, um, in the little things will lead you to that larger faith ultimately um, that we think of in that larger theological sense. Faith leads to meekness, meekness in the sense that we practice curbing our anger when 
our spouse or our child or our neighbor wrongs us. Mm-hmm. Right now, you know, this, this is tough because, you know, sometimes, you know, especially fathers in our role as King, we don't oftentimes think of the King as being very meek because the King is someone who gives commands and orders and people just, you know, when he says jump, you say how high. Right. right? And yet our King, right. The King of Kings humbled himself and became yep. a servant and became meek and lowly. So there's a, there's a paradox there, but it's important that we live into both of those. And a very practical way of, of practicing meekness is to say, okay, well, if I'm, if I'm sort of to go back to modesty, right, I'm in tune with, with who I'm supposed to be right now in this situation. And sometimes being in tune does mean getting sort of a little bit, um, sort of uh, some righteous indignation. But oftentimes it's a call to a meek, quiet response, right? Taking the kids and putting them in the back of the pickup truck with a blanket and yep. snacks when you mm-hmm. want to just throw them on their beds and say, you know, you're all just total silence, which is yep. a phrase my son says all the time. And I know it originated with me. Total, <laughs> total silence. silence. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's where conviction comes in right there on the mouth of babes. When you start hearing it, it's thrown right back yep. in your face. So. <laughs> yep. Meekness leads to long suffering. Yes. Right. So long suffering is 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 a type of patience, but it's it's a patience waiting for the good that never seems to arrive. Hmm. And you just suffer for a long time. Yeah. Now, here's my practical advice for this: If you don't have a crucifix in every room, then I don't know how you're going to practice long suffering because you have no like image to like remind you to suffer. <laughs> Right. For as long as it takes. And I really mean that. Like, like you need that. You need that reminder. Um, now, along with that, you know, if we read the Psalms, we're reminded that, you know, we can ask that question, Lord, how long? That's part of long suffering. But we do in our suffering, what we do in our suffering is we give it back to God and we ask God how long. We don't ask ourselves. Hmm. Right. We, we, we put that completely back uh, um, sort of in the realm of, of the person who controls and knows how long we need to suffer or need to experience whatever we're experiencing. This long suffering will lead us to goodness. Um, and by that, I'm talking about the you know, actively willing and generating opportunities for the good of the other. And so, you know, thinking about a mother teacher who's wanting their husband to step more fully into his responsibility, well, start creating opportunities for, for goodness for your husband. Just like you create opportunities for goodness for your kids, right? You think very intentionally mm-hmm. about how can I kind of craft a life for them around the table and yep. outdoors? Well, start thinking, start applying that mode, right? To go back to modesty towards your mm-hmm. husband. And just see what happens. Just to, just take the take the Pepsi challenge uh, on this one with me. Um, you know, something that people used to say a lot, and you know, uh, we're in the same generation, so maybe you heard this, but I was always told growing up that, you know, you you date to marry, and when you marry, your your responsibility is to help your partner get to heaven. Did anyone ever kind of give you some? Uh, did you hear that in any church circles? Some sort of like part of the responsibility of marriage is to help the other person, right? Um, achieve their eternal reward. 
No, not growing up, but I didn't grow up in a Christian family. So I came to faith. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And so I didn't grow up hearing Christian sayings. Well, I just wonder if people still sort of, uh, if this is still commonly expressed, but, you know, another way to say it is, you know, part of your, your role as, as a spouse is to help your, your husband or wife become a saint. Right? Yeah. I think, I think that idea is still talked about absolutely within marriage yeah. that you are growing in holiness together. That part of your spouse is going to do that for you. <laughs> the quirks absolutely. of them perhaps. Mm-hmm. And so, so goodness, um, all these things are building on each other will lead you to kindness. Um, mm-hmm. Now, now sometimes I think we think that maybe kindness was like somehow earlier in the process, hmm. but actually true kindness is nested within all of these other fruits um, because it's an active desire and practice of kindness. Um, it, it, you know, to use like a, a a phrase Aristotle would use, like it becomes second nature. Mm-hmm. Um, it's you're just a kind person mm-hmm. um, by virtue of practicing all of these other all the other habits. All these other habits. Right. Yeah. One thing that I've tried to remove from my vocabulary is be nice to my kids. Um, yeah. But I right. also think that partly why people might think kindness comes early on that ladder is because we think it's easy to say, "Oh, be kind." Just be kind. Just do it. <laughs> but if it's supposed to be like second nature, if it's supposed to be the fruit of cultivating so many practices in order to get there, um, it's just very different than how the world thinks of be nice, which can be a very selfish, actually rooted thing. It's it's just very different than kindness when you dig into it. I think I think you're you're exactly right. Well, you know, it's 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 important to be thoughtful about this kind of thing because especially anytime we tell someone to be something, right? It's mm-hmm. like you know, be fill in the blank, you know, whatever it is. Well, that's, there's, there's a lot of prerequisites that go into whatever you're asking that person to be right. Like actually like being itself is such a profound reality that like the idea that you could command someone to be, I mean, only God can command someone to be. Yeah. (laughs) Right. How how would you go about even doing that? (laughs) Your philosopher four-year-old who's like, what does it mean to be that? Oh, yeah, yeah, but that's to it's be true. or not to be. Right. Well, I often talk about with particularly habit training in the early years to be very concrete. Like you may right. not say that we speak like this. And ultimately yeah, that's yeah. going to be the practices that move you towards something like kindness. Um, but you can't just tell a small kid, be kind. I mean, you can't tell an adult that either, no, no, really. Of course not. But um, it doesn't it doesn't work. You're like, what does that mean? And that's made up of habits. That's made up of practices. Right. Well, in, in thinking about talking to teenagers, um, and and I have to say, not having teenagers, but having taught teenagers, I reflected a lot on my own life as a teenager, and you know, some of the I needed to be told to be chaste more than I needed to be told to be kind. Huh. But what my what I now know is that in my failure to be chaste as a, as a young man, I was. I was not being kind. Kind, yeah, yeah. You see, you see how all yep. these things are connected. Like, I'm yep. not, it wasn't a kindness to other people or to myself, for that matter. And that's the thing that's often forgotten hmm. um, is how we sin against our own flesh and all of this. Yeah. And so, um, let's see. The next fruit is then um, peace, right? Something we all long for: peace in our homes, and peace in our communities, peace in our world. Well, in order to have peace, you that means to not be disturbed. Mm-hmm. It means to maintain an even mm-hmm. temper. 
right? I shall not be moved, right. right? That kind of idea. And one cannot be truly at peace unless you've been practicing all of these other fruits of the spirit. That's the only thing that will really create peace. Now we can, we can sort of, um, uh, like counterfeit peace. Oh, sure. Right. By yeah. all sorts of things. And sometimes I think, you know, to, to a point that you often reflect on, you know, if all we do is focus on the aesthetic, you know, from the outside, it may look very peaceful, but people have no idea right. what's really going on in that. Yeah. Home. I think, yeah. I think right? what's so great about this is that instead of aiming for, okay, what we need to do right now is figure out how to make this place peaceful. Now, you're going to have to really ask yeah. about your practices, but to start down here and like, okay, well, where are we with self-control? Where are we with modesty? Right. Like coming back down in this way, gives you actual really practical pegs to start working with for something that otherwise is, I mean, what does the world tell you? You want peace, mom? Well, then you need at least five hours away on a Saturday where you can do whatever you want away from everyone in your home. Yeah. That's peace. But really yeah. this is about the cultivation of a heart that loves rightly. That's 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 the, that's it right there. Um, all of this culminates in in charity, mm-hmm. right? Which is the Holy Spirit Himself, right? Because God is love. Yep. And so all this culminates in the gift of God Himself, who teaches us how to love others as He loves us. Mm-hmm. And that's that's it. And that's it. <laughs> It was so good. I want to listen yeah. back through and write that out. I need to just make a note card probably somewhere where I can see it with the ladder written out. I'm going to encourage other other people to do that as well, moms or dads. Um, that is a great practical tip. Thank you for walking us through that. I am going to take Trey over to Patreon. I actually have some more practical questions and one non-practical question I still want to ask. And we're going to do it in under five minutes because it's the bonus five. So if you don't know, we have the bonus five over in Patreon where we add a little bit extra to each episode. It's definitely going to be longer than five minutes this week. And you can find us over at patreon.com forward slash the commonplace. But before we head there, Trey, please do tell everyone where they can find you and what you are working on right now. Uh, well, uh, very intentionally, there are a few places that you can find me. Um, but, uh, having ab- abandoned the world of social media, uh, for the time being, um, I do, um, spend some time, uh, hosting a podcast called the classical education podcast, and it's very uh, good. I can provide a link for that. I've so enjoyed interviewing, um, a variety of different, um, primarily, um, teaching academics, um, but also some homeschool parents and um, other people who are doing some good work in the world of classical Christian education. And my co-host is someone who is a big um, uh, reader and um, uh, sort of promoter mm-hmm. of, of Mason. So you'll, you'll find a lot of Mason over there as well. But um, other than that, um, uh, you know, I'd be happy to provide um, an email address or something for, well, I guess you can find me. Let's do this. You can find me on autumn's patreon <laughs> it's true trey is our <laughs> um, resident because dad. <laughs> i'm i'm the resident dad so i don't i don't know if if that gives me any um any particular uh i guess there is a call to responsibility there so if you have a question um you know with with autumn's permission i'd be happy to, to answer that to the best of my ability yes, but autumn i just want to say to you that um i'm so glad that i found uh you and your work and you're someone who um from, you know, from my impression, uh, you just spend a lot of time working very hard, uh, as you say, in the margins of your time. And as far as I can tell, really at no one else's expense. 
um, hmm. to to put out some really good content and to but it's more than content. It's it's um, um, you know providing a place for people to come and ask questions and to to engage with other like-minded folks and and to realize that they're not alone in all of this. And um, and in doing so, you you sort of approach it with this very uh, serious purpose, but you have this lightness of touch that I just find uh, tremendously uh, admirable. So thank you for your work. Thank you. Well, Trey, let's hop over to Patreon. Commonplace, common moms. I will see you guys in two weeks.